and welcome to the Worthy Pieces podcast. I am Rhonda Davis and I am your host. In today's episode, I want to talk about processing. In a previous episode, we went over grounding and I mentioned that in my therapy advice, we focus on processing and grounding. So processing you've probably heard over and over again through your therapy experience and through people just talking you through some issues. Um, Today, I want to just break down and give some examples of what really processing is and why it's beneficial in our therapeutic experience. So a little bit of background. I am a trauma therapist who works here in Salt Lake City, Utah, and my office specializes in trauma. So this is something I'm super passionate about. Most of our clients that we see, I would say at least 90% or more, have had some type of traumatic experience in their life, whether it's previous sexual abuse, domestic violence partnership, um, you know, crises, natural disasters, things like that. So this is something I lecture on often, and it's something I'm super passionate about. And the reason being is because I really truly believe people can change. And the the only way that we try to get people to change is learning healthy ways to process the information or process the events that we've been through. So when we talk about processing, um, a simple version of processing is to say that it's a way for you to tell the story or um, to interpret experiences that have happened to us and trying to understand it. And there's pros and cons with this, right? Because even when I say understand it, what sometimes happens in this experience is we want to figure out why an event or why something happened to us. Um, When really, ultimately, like it doesn't really matter why it's there, but we want to better understand what it did to us and and how, how the experience affected us. So processing usually in therapy means that you you put words to the experience using a narrative, right? We ex- explain it in a sense of like a storybook where you really get to paint the picture or you describe your situation to others to where you genuinely want them to understand your experience or they want to get to know you or what you went through. Um, typically processing, it's you know, when you we when we use it from the narrative perspective, so for example, when we're telling our friends something that's happened, we give them kind of like a surface level generalized summary of the events. And that's great. And, you know, other situations, depending on what the topic is, you probably spend more time going into detail or giving more descriptions or, you know, depending on how comfortable you are, depending on a variety of factors. Um, when we look at processing, sometimes a lot of things can happen. You notice avoidance, you notice a sense of discomfort, you notice maybe feelings of overwhelming or, or flooding emotions, um, or you just notice in the sense that like you didn't want to talk about it and it's that avoidance to where you don't even want to process it. So there can be a lot to processing and how you process it. And there's a variety of ways that people or therapists especially will have you process a topic. Um, second part to processing is that when you think about it, right, it's usually an event or an issue, something from your past. Now it doesn't have to be trauma. It can be something as silly as like you stubbed your toe this morning or you hit every red light to work and you're pissed and you're venting about it to a coworker. Um, but it's bringing these past events into our present consciousness and, and analyzing them. And I hate using that word, but I, I use it in this moment because I think it connects with a lot of us, right? 
when you're when you're venting to your friend, you're trying to gain further understanding of what happened, maybe gain solutions or answer some questions, but more so, what are you seeking? Right? Validation. You want a sense of understanding that that person knows what you're you're experiencing or what you went through. And typically when we're processing something in a healthy manner, it results with like fresh insight or validation or we get something from the conversation, right? When there's something that's really traumatic, usually like places or people or memories or any any association that's connected to that trauma, we avoid. It's something that we don't want to process, right? Meaning that the, these events are difficult and it kind of remains like frozen in the past or stuck in, maybe stuck in our present, but based off of just like feeling like we can't um, connect to those emotions or connect to that experience. And so we don't really know how to talk about it or how to process it. So um, an example of this is thinking about, and I think I've used this example before, um, and I believe that I got it. I know I've read this example somewhere, but I think that it, it gives you a good visual to understanding this. So when you think about the happiest days of your life, maybe it's a wedding, maybe it's a graduation, maybe it's, you know, the moment that you met your partner, that the moment you said, I love you, whatever that moment is in your life that you can identify being one of your happiest or one of those pivotal moments that stands out to you, right? Typically, you're not going to have day-to-day fears or paranoid thoughts or anything negative associated to that. You're also not going to have flashbacks typically of those great days right? It's not like you're sitting at work and and writing an email and all of a sudden you get hit with a flooded memory of you walking down the aisle or you graduating and getting your diploma. However, when it's negative, so when you think of the worst days in your life or, or the most traumatic experience that you've been through, it doesn't take much for you to go back to those events, right? Um, and sometimes it can be something as simple as like a car accident or the neighbor's dog bit you or you dropped, you know, your your daughter's birthday cake. It doesn't have to be something on a larger scale of trauma, right? So when you hear the word trauma or a traumatic experience, some people disregard that because they're like, oh, I've never been sexually abused. I've never been in an unhealthy relationship. But when you think about it, like, especially if, you know, you were that 16-year-old that just got your license and you got into a car accident, Maybe for you in that moment, it's it was like that terrified reaction and which resulted in you being fearful or paranoid of the trauma, right? And so part of that is an example of how your brain processed the information when it's happened to you, right? There was a quote that I heard and I can't ever find it to like read it verbatim, but there was a quote I once heard of it. Trauma isn't about the event happening to you. It's about your interpretation of it. And I use that example, especially in like a car accident. You and I can be in the same car accident and I can experience and walk away very, very differently than how you would. And and the example of that is meaning, let's say if you walk away from the car accident, paranoid to be in a car, fearful of driving a car ever again, maybe you all of a sudden anxiety sets in and you're noticing a lot of panic attacks or worried or excessive worrying that comes from it, where I walk away, you know, kind of untouched. No worries, no panics, no fears, anything. And sometimes if you're that person that gets affected by it, you're going to compare yourself to me to be like, gosh, what's wrong with me? Rhonda walked away from it and she's fine. She's happy. She can get in a car. She continues to drive. And that reaction sometimes we personalize 
to to making it almost like a flawed characteristic of something's wrong with me when really it comes down to past experiences. So maybe I have been in a number of car accidents and the one that I was in with you wasn't that traumatic for me. It was almost like normalized versus maybe this is your first car accident and it was a very a very scary experience for you. So when we talk about trauma or when when we talk about being affected by something, remember that it's personal. It, it depends on how you're processing it and really ultimately based on what experiences you've already been through that's going to set your alarm system off, right? So when we talk about how when things happen to us, how our brain processes it, think about your brain being a smoke alarm, okay? That oncoming threat of, you know, maybe it's a car accident or or someone cuts you off would be, for an example, of an oncoming threat, your brain is already interpreting that and kicking on, right? And if you've been paranoid before or been in a number of car accidents, when that person cuts you off, you're instantly going to catastrophize that thought into thinking of, oh my gosh, this is going to happen again. So meaning when that car cuts you off, your brain is already picked up of that oncoming threat and it's going to react the way probably pretty similar to how you did in the past. And so maybe that's where like you swerve, you become fearful, your heart races, you scream, you cuss, whatever that behavior is that's maybe negative, your brain switches on because it's doing its job to protect yourself, right? So the alarm's going off because its smoke is detected. It's going to alert you in the way that it best knows how. And sometimes we hate that because it's not as healthy as we want it to be. And and I've had some people tell me like, Rhonda, I hate that. Like that makes it to where I don't feel like I can be in control over it. Yeah, in a way, I mean, in that moment when it's especially conscious versus subconscious, you don't really. And our conscious is always the part that we want to control. But when it comes down to like reactions or emotions or our quote unquote norm, then our brain is going to kick in and instinctively react the way that it it knows how to. And, and, And usually that's in a result to protect us. And so, yes, we necessarily don't have control over it, but if we're able to understand what are those situations that our alarm is going off of, or what are those fires that we have been in previously that maybe we haven't looked at and understood, those are the ways that we try and control it. And that much more is on that subconscious level, which leads us back to processing, right? So if you've had experiences that are unresolved, meaning that you haven't processed, haven't looked at, and maybe you've avoided then typically that's going to go into your area of the brain, such as the hippocampus and amygdala, where it's just stuck, right? Like I used the term earlier of being frozen. The Another example I give is it's your trash can of your brain. You're going to throw it away and hope that it get, just rots and goes away and you never have to deal with it again. But it doesn't, right? How often do we find ourselves with those flashbacks or worrying about the future because of our past experiences or having flashbacks of of getting bit by a dog or getting in that car accident or getting attacked, whatever that may be, right? It gets stuck in our conscious. And usually it's stuck because we haven't wanted to look at it and reprocess it. And so when we talk about processing, what that is doing is processing in a healthy manner is, is working with the prefrontal cortex or the front part of your brain where you're able to put the information, process it, and kind of store it. I, the example I give is your prefrontal cortex is that filing cabinet, right? So you pull it from the trash, you look at it, 
you look at these scattered papers and you file it away in your filing cabinet. So it's organized, it's stored, it's put away, and it's there for when you want to go access that information and pull it out. Now, when you're processing information, like I said earlier, it can be in a variety of ways. It can be telling a friend. It can be journaling. It can be um, writing it in a, like a storybook form. So maybe you're you're an artist and you you write stories and you put the subjects as your own story, but it doesn't have to be you. It can be um, reading a book. It can be writing music. There's different ways that you're able to process and go through this information, but that's going to be dependent on each person. Each person processes information differently. And ultimately it comes down to when, what you feel safest doing and really what is going to work best for you. I have some people that I've worked with before where telling the story and using more of like a narrative perspective is really, really helpful because they're really good with their words. Where I, whereas I've had clients that are much more visual and they need to, you know, kind of experience it as their own movie. And so we've done things such as like visualizations or guided visualizations, something along those lines to really get them in tune with what they're visually experiencing, especially if you're having flashbacks. I think that one that, yes, nobody likes looking at, but it's very, very visual. And so if you're able to put that into like a picture form or a song or like a story, it makes it almost easier and maybe safer to look at and to process. So there's different ways to process. Um, and you, the thing about processing is you, you're not going to just pick one way to process, right? Think about like if you had a bad day at work and you want to call your partner on your way home and vent about your day, that's one way to process versus maybe at night when you're doing your bedtime routine, you want to sit and journal about your day and just get some of the emotional release done. You're going to write about your feelings and write about your experience. So there isn't like a, a one magical way to process and that you have to stick with. There should be multiple versions of processing that you should be able to process, uh, practice. And the other thing is, I think with processing, it's also developing and expanding your language and the way that you're able to tell this story. So, right, if I, if I ask you about one of the worst times in your life, you're probably going to give me a very generalized surface level answer right? There's not going to be a lot of details. There's probably not going to be a lot of descriptive words to understand your experience. And it's, it's honestly going to be one of the responses of like, what's the shortest answer I can give? So Rhonda doesn't ask any further questions and she can move on. And that would be an example of where we're avoiding or we're dismissing. And so we haven't looked at this situation to process it in a healthy way. And so when we really look and, and try to get people to process You really want to spend time looking at what this experience is to you, right? And like I said, re-examining it in kind of a different language. So like your present day self, right? If you were in that car accident and it was traumatic at 16 and let's say you're now 25, but you're coming, you're telling me this story as a 25-year-old, your experience as a 25-year-old is going to be very, very different than that 16-year-old kid, right? And to healthy pro- have a healthy way of processing is you looking at that experience as that 16-year-old kid and being able to tell the story in his terms. Part of that, there's multiple reasons to that, right? Other than the sense that you're going to greatly understand it 
so much more from that 16-year-old perspective than you are at 25. But also think about it. Your experience in from 16 to 25, maybe you've been in other car accidents. Maybe you haven't driven since then. You've had more life experience that's going to change your perspective. But on top of that, society creates this logical pressure for us to to let things go. So like when we sit there and you're, and you're explaining maybe to your partner, like, oh, I don't drive a car. I was in a car accident when I was 16 years old. There's a part of shame to where you're like, oh my gosh, Shonda, you're so dumb. Just get in the car, go for a drive. Like they think you're a baby. Just get over it. You were 16, not that big of a deal. What are the chances you're going to be in a car accident again? Just get over it. And we try to like give ourselves this pep talk, but also like negatively dismiss our emotions and the experience for us. And we just want to like talk our way out of it or try to motivate us just to forget about it. And that doesn't work. And I, and I see that because so many people, and think about it, you've probably had moments where you're like, this is here. It really bothers me. I can't get in a car. I'm paranoid when I get in a car. I have all these experiences in this present day that I know are connected to this 16-year-old experience, and but I'm fine. It's not that big of a deal. Well, I'm going to tell you, like, clearly it is. Otherwise, it wouldn't still be in the present day life causing that dysfunction. So one part of processing Whatever you're doing, journaling, talking, journaling, talking, um, maybe you're, I don't know, maybe you're doing a podcast or you're doing an audio file or an audio journal or something like that. Tell the story as you're that 16 year old kid, right? In a sense from, it doesn't need to be from that victim standpoint. I think a lot of people hear that word and they get terrified of that because I don't want to be a victim. Think about it as what was it like when you were the victim, when that 16-year-old was in that car accident? What was it like as that victim? But also look at it now. Look at the language of resilience, right? You're a survivor. You are standing here as that adult who has survived this car accident, having these experiences. Maybe you've started driving again. You know, even if it's not something you really are happy about or feel completely comfortable, you get to be in this present day survivorship. What is it from both perspectives? Because each perspective is going to give you a different, um, a different explanation or a different perspective. The, the biggest part to processing is when you're in that survivor, and this is some of the logical, when you're in this, again, it goes back to you wanting to write of, I couldn't get in the car. I felt so stupid. I am so stupid. I wish I could drive. I wish things would change. I wish I never would have gotten in that car accident. You're in that survivor acknowledging of just, again, giving yourself that pep talk. But really look at it from, I was in a car accident. I was hurt. I was traumatized. It was my first car accident. And you're, you're moving to a language of empathy and compa- compassion, um, self-nurturance. You're able to hold that accountability to say, you know what, this happened and it's okay it happened and it's okay I'm affected by this. And when you do that, you will see a shift in how you're processing the information, right? Again, it doesn't matter if you're telling a friend and you're using your vocal cords to have this conversation or how to process this or if you're writing it down or if you're drawing a picture or you're singing a song about it. Sing the song from that language of empathy. And and I don't even want to put forgiveness in there because it's not about working towards forgiveness. That's another cult, like society norm that I think is so twisted. Don't think about forgiveness as much as it is as acceptance of this is here. 
this experience happened to me and this is where I'm at with it. Now, car accident is maybe like a less intensive example I can give you. So when we put it in a heavier example, such as maybe like an abusive relationship, same thing. Were you a victim of abuse? Were you a victim of neglect? If your answer is yes, that's okay. You don't need to write and just be solely sucked into that the version of helplessness and powerlessness. You can be a survivor and write about it or talk about it from the two different perspectives. Here's the thing. You're a victim of anything, especially when it comes to abuse or abandonment or neglect or anything awful. You get to have feelings about it. I don't care if you're, you know, bitching about the fact you stubbed your toe and you're really upset and it ruined your day. You get to have that moment. You get to express your emotions and nobody gets to tell you differently because they're your emotions. It's your experience. It's your perspective. What I don't want you to do is get stuck in that victim mode, right? It can't be that you're just wallowing and wandering through life of like, oh, poor pity me. This is my life and nobody cares. That's you getting stuck in that victim or that powerlessness. Coming from that survivorship, are you also a survivor? Did you leave that relationship? Are you planning to leave that relationship? Did you survive? And are you standing here today to share your story from that perspective? So processing is really internalizing it and understanding what it was like for you. Okay, going back to the car accident example, you're not going to tell your friend or you shouldn't tell your friend Rhonda and I were in this car accident and this is Rhonda's perspective and this is Rhonda's emotions and this is what she's taking away from it. It doesn't do anything for you. My experience is my experience and yours is yours. You need to fill in the gap and you need to identify what those emotions and feelings are for you rather than comparing. It can't be that comparison of, oh my gosh, Rhonda walked away fine. Why can't I get my shit together? Cool. You're really struggling. It created a lot of paranoia. You don't feel safe driving. Honor those emotions and and bring awareness to them. And I promise you're going to see, honestly, like your own self-empathy come out, but you're going to see how, how that story and how that narrative of the story changes and how some of the details of that story actually then kind of fall away and you become desensitized to that experience. I think that's a another key point to keep in mind of like these experiences that you're processing you're never going to have them just like poof, go away. They're not going to be part of your memory bank. They're still going to be there, but we we need to take it out of that trash can where it's stinky and rotten and causing so much dysfunction and bring it to awareness to where you can actually file, sort it, and put it away. I have so many people that are like, well, I don't want to look at this and I don't want to, you know, it hurts too much, whatever that topic may be or whatever that experience is. I get it. You don't want to look at it. It hurts. It causes a lot of discomfort. It causes maybe a lot of feelings of unsafety. Well, I'm going to put it this way. You're already reliving it in a negative experience every single day. So why wouldn't you want to try to process it or learn healthy processing skills in order to change that narrative and look at it in a healthier, positive, um, organized way? Right? right now, if it's flooding you and you're overwhelmed and you're smothered by all of that, you know, all what it's done to you and all of the effects coming from it, why wouldn't you want to sit and look at it and, and look at it from a different perspective and understand it from those different key points to really try and put it away? 
it can't get any worse. You're already experiencing the discomfort or the flashbacks or the feelings of anxiousness. You've already, in a sense, allowed the effects of that experience to take control over you. So you might as well take control over the situation, process it and put it away. So then you can go live your life. It doesn't have to be at the forefront of your brain every single day. Another way, which is, you know, obviously we hear this in like child therapy or when you're playing with kids, but another way to process is, is play, draw pictures, go back to your childhood and gain that understanding from a child's perspective. If you're struggling with something from your childhood, that's been abusive or an experience that has been stuck with you, you know, when you were really little, Connect with that inner child. Go play a game. Go play with Play-Doh. Go tell that story using play. Use action figures. Do things like that to where, again, you're still processing it, right? You still can look at it and, and understand from, again, that different perspective of be the child. Understand what that environment was as the child or when that event happened to you. Also look at it, again, with no judgment. That six-year-old, eight-year-old kid Think about like how much did you know, really know about the world? How much did you, how much understanding did you have to explain the experience you were part of? Um, one of the examples, I think, again, I, I got this from a textbook somewhere too, but I think it hits home. If you were that kid that your parent got divorced at a really young age, right? The example, think about if you remember dad and mom always used to fight and there was one night where dad came home and let's say he tripped over your toys in the hallway. Okay. Let's say you're like six or seven years old. Okay. You remember dad screaming because he tripped over your, your toys in the hallway. Obviously he's going to take that out on your mom and scream and yell and there's going to be an argument. And let's say a couple weeks later, you remember that fight. You, you stayed up all night. It gave you nightmares, whatever may have happened. And then a couple weeks later, let's say mom and dad came to you and said, Hey, we're going to get a divorce. Mom and dad aren't getting along. Dad's going to move out and we're going to get a divorce. What is that six-year-old's interpretation? You're going to go back to that night where you were supposed to put your toys away and didn't. Dad tripped on them, got really mad, took it out on mom, and got a divorce. To try and logically give you an explanation as that six-year-old, you're going to internalize it and probably personalize it, right? This is my fault. Dad and mom got a divorce because it's me. And maybe you're sitting here as like a 20, 30-year-old adult saying, well, I know they didn't get divorced because of me. And I know that mom and dad fought. And I know, you know, dad was an alcoholic. And I know that's why they left. My question to you is, did you really know that at six years old? Cool. You're 25 and you know that and you have that awareness and you have that understanding. And you've gotten to a place of acceptance because you knew mom and dad ultimately had a toxic, unhealthy relationship that they are better off from. Awesome. You know that today. Did you know that as that six-year-old kid terrified in her bed, screaming, crying, upset because dad was yelling at mom? If I were to have that conversation with the six-year-old version of yourself, what would they tell me? What would that picture be from that six-year-old's mind? What would they be hearing? What would they be experiencing? I think it's important to look at it from that perspective because yes, You can look back and say, I've learned a lot. I've been through life. I have this understanding. But what happens is when that trauma sticks with us, it's because as that six-year-old, your perspective in that moment was that this was all your fault. Now, think about it this way. 
from your negative belief, how often has that come up in your life? How often do you feel like things are your fault or people blame you for things? That's a ver- that's an example of trauma. It's been stuck with you from past experiences that still affect you today. And maybe it's not just from one, the one event of mom and dad getting divorced, but you can think of multiple times that you internalized, didn't have the understanding or the explanation to why things were happening. All you knew is that six-year-old version of yourself, you felt like it was your fault. And so you took that on and internalized it. And maybe asking you, yeah, to sit and journal or draw a picture of it now seemed kind of silly, right? But that's also because you're still in your 25-year-old conscious. If I were to ask you to go back and do it from your six-year-old version of yourself, what would they give me? What honesty would they give me? What connections would you make in that moment if you could do it from that perspective? So when you're thinking about processing or when you're doing it, remember that it's how you're interacting with your world in that moment. That car accident, cool, was scary in that moment, but it doesn't have to be in 10 years, right? When you look at that and you change your perspective, you're going to gain such better awareness of what the experience was for you than just brushing it off, avoiding, and just discounting it, okay? So you've heard me kind of give examples of processing. Play, art, coloring, journaling, talking, writing letters. There's a ton of different versions. And ultimately, I don't care how you process as long as you do it and you do it with intention. Obviously, if you're in therapy, that's going to be an easy one because your therapist should be able to help you process and understand what it's like. Um, I think my big frustration is that if you have a therapist that doesn't push you and doesn't make you change your perspective, right, that that just kind of sits there and they're like, oh, Rhonda, yeah, what's it like to have divorced parents? And my response is like, "Eh, it's okay. They were better off. Their relationship was terrible. And they're just like, oh, so you sound okay with it? But yet, again, maybe my negative belief and maybe my therapist knows my negative belief is that it's my fault and she doesn't push me. She doesn't take the layers deeper and she doesn't have me share my perspective or understand my world for what it was like, for what all these experiences led to. So I think that that's something to keep in mind. Typically, there's a ton of different ways to do this in therapy and you know, that that our point in therapy is not to solve the issues for you, but to bring awareness and and connections to help you under greater understand your world and like what you've been through and why that affected you and how it affected you to give you that greater understanding of why you've been struggling or why you're struggling with X, Y, and Z today. Processing takes time, it takes engagement, and it takes intention. And so I think that that's one thing, and you've probably heard me complain about this before of, yeah, it takes, it takes time. It takes a commitment that if you're really struggling to sit and journal about your experience or to draw a picture of your world at six years old, it's not going to happen in 30 seconds. It's going to take time for you to stay engaged and to really, really think about it. And also to identify the emotions that are really attached to it. Remember, emotions You can be fearful and scared and nervous and disappointed and happy all in the same breath, and that's okay. But understanding the experience gets to be all of that and understanding how all of those affected you in that one moment is huge in helping you process, right? I don't want you just to pick one emotion and say, yeah, that moment I was feeling anxious. Because more likely than not, more likely than not, you felt 
a flood of emotions come to you at once. And, you know, it resulted in that overstimulated nervous system that then you got stuck in, right? And again, you probably see that in your day-to-day when you catastrophize or when you worst case think or when you go down that rabbit hole. So understanding like why certain behaviors came, what emotions are there and learning really truly how to identify and express them is probably the most important thing you can do when you're processing. And a lot, and I think a lot of people like you do have to dig deeper. You have to shed those layers. And, and I always tell clients like, for example, so if clients come in and they're like, oh yeah, this week was really terrible. I had a fight with my partner. I had three panic attacks. You know, it is what it is. I'm going to be like, oh my gosh, you had a rough week. Like, what'd you do about it? I hate the answer when people are like, well, I didn't want to look at it. So I didn't want to, I didn't do anything. Most of my clients, and if my clients are listening, everyone's probably giggling of like, yeah, that's, that's a Rhonda-ism. Like, cool. You didn't do anything. And you had these negative effects that you made you uncomfortable, that you sat in this discomfort, probably caused some dysfunction. And for half of my clients, y'all know your coping skills. You know what my response is going to be. And it's going to be to hold you accountable to why didn't you process it? Why didn't you write down your thoughts? Why didn't you write down what you wanted to say to this person and confront them and express your emotions to them? Why didn't you set a boundary? Why didn't you go sit in your bathtub and, and do some grounding exercises? And most of the time it's, well, I don't want to. The only way I'm going to tell you is we don't want to do a lot of things in life. And it's about your commitment to this. You already feel terrible. You're having a bad day. Why do you want to sit in that and just keep that everlasting? Why not practice and do something that can break that cycle, even if it's just for a couple of minutes to give you a different perspective and to really push yourself to try and make yourself feel better? I get it. I'm human. There's moments to where even my partner tells me, like, did you journal? Did you call and talk to your friend? Did you do this? And so I know I'm not a hypocrite. I know that there's sometimes where you just genuinely don't want to look at this anymore. And I will tell you, the better you get at becoming emotionally aware and better in tune with your emotional side, I promise the more aware you're going to be. And and a lot of people, it's funny because they're like, I'm so sick of being emotional. I'm so sick of having to process. Isn't that a strength? The fact that you have such an incredible brain power that you're able to identify when you're emotionally affected, but yet you choose to avoid it and shove it back into that trash can. Sounds pretty neglectful. It sounds pretty unhealthy. Why do we want to do that to ourselves? Right? It's kind of the mentality I also use of when people are like, I want to start, stop smoking cigarettes. Cool. What's, what are, what are, what's keeping you from smoking? Right? What comfort does that bring? And we all, like any smoker or any addict that we've ever dealt with, right? They're not dumb. They can tell you that smoking is unhealthy. They can tell you the negative effects that have come from smoking. So we don't need to lecture them on that. They are greatly aware of that. We need to figure out a way to help them understand why they're choosing to engage in that unhealthy coping skill rather than looking at their anxiety or their discomfort or what they're avoiding, right? I mean, that's a terrible example, but like my point to that is like we all know when we do something unhealthy, you don't need to logically tell yourself that. That just needs to be a red flag of, oh my gosh, I'm smoking, What am I avoiding? What's going on? I'm biting my fingernails. I don't want to do that. What's going on? I need to go journal. 
hey, I had a panic attack today. It's not of I took a cold shower and then I was fine and then I just ignored it and hope it never comes back. Panic attacks are like the the greatest blessing, but also the biggest deterrent in, I think, mental health. And I say that because panic attacks are always that red flag that that's something going on emotionally you're not looking at, meaning your body, your trash can is absorbing and fulling and overflowing and it's just finally reacting. So those of you that are just avoiders and, and that you've neglected your mental health, if those of you are listening, your body is going to respond. If you choose to avoid and not look at this and not process, that's fine. But just know your trash can is going to be overflowing to a point where your body without your control is going to respond. And typically we see that in panic attacks, breakdowns, you know, those that have like the emotional expression when they're super, super drunk, like things like that, your body is going to respond because you're not listening and you're not processing. You're choosing to avoid it and just let it sit in your trash can. So I'm going to encourage each of you to look at this and check in with yourself. If there's something that you have had on your mind, I don't care if it's a basic work or life stress or if it's a confrontation you have to have with a family member or friend, if it's boundaries, if it's a trauma response, whatever is happening, I want you to try to process in a different way this week. I would love it if you tried it like every single day. But tell the story differently. Write it from a different version of yourself. Pay attention to it from a different world. Again, going back to like the adult child world, look at it from that fairy tale perspective rather than the adult perspective. Stop making sense of things and just look at what the experience is to you. Stop asking the question, why was I in this or why am I affected? And start asking the question of how it affected me. I promise you, your experience is going to be different if you're able to change that perspective. Get out of your logical brain, practice it from different different perspectives, and it's going to change that language for you. It's going to get you out of that victim into that survivor, into that self-compassion. Typically, like when I went back, I think I said it in this episode, maybe a different one about trauma. Like your, your trauma experience is dependent on the support you received after the event. So if you, you know, after an event happened and you had a loving home or good supportive parents or a sibling or someone helped you through this experience, typically your trauma response isn't going to be as intense. And I'm bringing this up because I do think a big part in in processing and overcoming things is human connection, right? You're not going to tell me the deepest, darkest secrets in your life unless you feel a connection and trusting to me. So keep that in mind also when you're processing with yourself. If you don't trust yourself, if you don't feel connected to yourself, you're not going to process on the same capacity as you need to versus if you trusted yourself or if you confided in someone that you absolutely trust and love. So as you do this, connect with yourself, trust yourself, find that human connection in a sense, find that safety. But another way to look at this too is look at it. If you have to, when you're processing, take it out of the perspective of you and put it into someone else. So meaning Maybe I should rephrase that. Okay, don't look at it from your perspective, but put it onto someone else. So meaning that like if you're writing a letter or you're writing a story or drawing a picture and making it like my life, so like drawing the picture from Rhonda's car accident, if it's too intense, if it feels too heavy to make it about you, 
then make it make the situation, but make it like your best friend, your mom, someone else to where you're going to you know that those negative thoughts you tell yourself or those self-defeating thoughts or those fears, you probably are never going to tell your best friend or your mom or your partner those self-negative beliefs that you're telling yourself. So when you're sitting there and you're calling yourself stupid or questioning yourself, think about it of if your mom came to you and told her about or told you about her experience getting in a car accident, are you really going to respond with, mom, you're so stupid. That was 20 years ago. Get over it. Think about it that way as far as that human connection and changing that perspective as well. You need to create that safe, supportive internal space as well as external. And again, as, as long as you're looking at it from your perspective and connecting it from that emotional space, you're not going to feel as paralyzed or frozen. You're going to be able to move the energy, move the information, and hopefully get some type of relief from it. When we manifest this and we start making the small changes, that's really where you're going to build new habits. Remember who you are today and everything you've been through, unhealthy or not, has created a sense of protection for you right? So when whatever we have gone through, the negative behaviors or coping skills or relationships that have come from it, remember that perspective. You did that in that moment to protect yourself because you knew in that moment what was best for you. You can look back and yes, shame yourself and be like, well, that was silly. You knew that smoking or picking up cigarettes wasn't good, but I did it anyway because in that moment, it was the best decision I could make for myself. It was the best way to protect myself. It was maybe the best way that I could overcome the overwhelming feelings of anxiety I felt. Remember, you're changing all this, right? Think about it as you're learning a new language that you didn't know before. So as you build this strength, remember to hold yourself accountable. Push yourself to be comfortable while being uncomfortable. And I promise that it, like by helping you process these difficult situations, it's going to put your, your narrative into a different place than what it is right now. By adjusting that cognitive ability is going to help you gather new information, break down other information, allow you to be uncomfortable, but also help you build a new sense of safety. Bring these issues into light, have empathy, have compassion, have nurturance, no judgment, no shame should be incorporated in this. Show yourself love, show yourself that acceptance. And more than anything, be consistent. I promise you that's where you're going to develop these new skills. It can't just be like a one-all of, I tried this, it didn't work, didn't love it, and then you just never picked it up again. You're replacing these behaviors. You have to practice them and you have to make them consistent enough to where they will become your new behaviors or your new coping skills. So have intention, do it the best you can, and stop freaking judging you. Have compassion to your story because, again, your story matters. The pieces to your puzzle matter. But you have to take each piece and intentionally look at each piece to see its importance and prevalence in connecting all of the other pieces in order for that puzzle to be whole. So practice processing. I hope you got some ideas. Push yourself and think outside of your perspective. See what changes this week. I love feedback. If this works for you, share it with someone else and challenge them. As always, thank you again for listening. 
And just remember, if any of you are interested in following me on Instagram, it's at Worthy with Rhonda. And I would love if any of you wanted to reach out, send feedback. And as always, please share this podcast with others. We'll talk soon, friends. Thank you.